0: Let's get into Revelation chapter 11 today. Father, um, we thank you for the way that you ministered to our hearts this morning. Some of us, maybe we weren't ministered to, others were. And we just thank you for even the one that you ministered to. But Father, you ministered to more. I pray that you give us ears to hear today, eyes to see, minds to comprehend hearts with fertile soil, and feet that want to run with obedience. I pray that your word would bring life to us. Help it. Um, may this word today help us understand the end times. In your mercy, in Jesus' name, amen. So last week, again, John was given a vision. And can we turn, the lights are reflecting off my glasses just a little much. If we can turn stage lights down a little bit. Last week John was given a vision, and in this vision John was told to measure the temple, but to stay away from measuring the outer courts. Hopefully for those who were here they remembered that, right? We wrestled through what the temple is in Revelation chapter 11, and I suggested that what the temple, um, what the temple was in chapter 11 was the church, God's people. So essentially, what John was given a vision to do was the idea that, John, or that God was telling John to measure God's people. So this measurement was essentially, God's people are going to be refined by fire, right? Essentially, God's people would face hard times from the world, but... Their inner relationship with Christ couldn't be taken. So the outer courts in the world, right? The outside of the temple. The world's going to affect our outer being. But the inner peace of who we are will never be affected. The idea would be this. We are secure in Christ forever. But until Jesus returns, the world will wage war against the church and God's people. We see that going on, do we not? We see that the world is waging war against the church. We then began to learn about the two witnesses. So since we're um, still in chapter 11, I'm going to reread verses 3 through 6. And then I will appoint my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days, clothed in sackcloth, they are the two olive trees and the two lampstands, and they stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. They have power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have the power to turn water, waters into blood and strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. So there was a lot of speculation of who these two witnesses were. Now my suggestion is we don't need to really worry too much about who these witnesses are. But after John saw the two witnesses, he saw that they would prophesy for 1,260 days. These witnesses' ministry would be like that of olive trees. So they would have endless oil for being the light of the world. They would have a special anointing for signs and wonders. They could shut uh, heaven so no rain would fall during the time of um, their prophesying. They could turn water to blood, and they could strike the earth with plagues as they desire. (laughs) So they had a special anointing. They would be fruitful like an olive tree, and people would come to know Christ. Not only would they be like an olive tree but they would also have a special protection from God. During this time, anyone that would try to kill them would face fire from the witnesses and be killed. And uh, Macy and I were talking about that on the way home. She said, can you imagine people seeing fire come out of these people's mouths and um, then being killed that way? I mean, that'd be pretty scary, wouldn't it? Like just... Blah. be pretty 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 crazy. So... Again, much of Revelation is symbolic, right? So as we were driving home, kind of the discussion was, we don't know, um, maybe it's fire. Maybe it's just literal and it's actual fire. They're fire-breathing people that just literally spit out fire. It could be the case. Or maybe it's just they're protected by, you know, the American government or whatever government, and they just have big old uh, birds that can spit fire from heaven, right? And just bombs will come, bullets will come, who knows? Um, Either way, as we get into Scripture today, what we need to understand first is this, is you and I, so we, will be hated because of Christ. That's what we're learning here in Revelation chapter 11. So because of their fruit, because they're like olive trees, Because people are coming to Christ, because they identify with Christ, people in the world wants to kill them. See, if these two witnesses came and they partnered with the world and they partnered with the Antichrist, why would anyone want to kill them? They wouldn't. But because they identify with Christ, because they're fruitful for Christ, there's one of two kingdoms. There's God's kingdom and there's the other kingdom. The world wants to kill them because of that. Likewise, when you identify with Christ, when the blood of Christ is over your life, and when you become the light of the world, the world will hate you. John 14, 18 through 21. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own, as it is You do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I have told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me so when we are treated bad in this world as Christians, is it you that they hate, or is it the Christ in you? What the Scripture is telling us is it's Christ in you. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not a jerk, too, right? There's just some jerks in here, right? I mean, we can be jerks and not be liked. I don't have anyone in mind when I'm saying that, right? Other than I don't have anyone in mind. But it's because of Christ's name. Because of Christ, these witnesses are hated. Because of Christ, you will be hated in this world. 1 Peter 2, verse 8. A stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. So Christ is a stumbling block. For the world. Christ in you is a stumbling block for the world. Christ in these witnesses was a stumbling block for the world. Isaiah 8 14. And he will be a sanctuary, both, sorry, but but to both houses of Israel, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. To the dwellers of Jerusalem, a trap and a snare so what we see here is jesus living inside of these witnesses witnesses and jesus living inside of you is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to the world amen so who wants to be hated by the world i do because if i'm not hated by the world whose team am i on I want to be hated by the world. Now, I don't, but I do. Therefore, because these angels preach and love Jesus, they will be hated. The world will want to kill them. Not only will the world want them dead, the enemy of our souls will wage war against them. And that's what we see happening here in Revelation chapter 11. So because of this, truth that these witnesses bring comes with a price. But God protects us for our mission. Truth comes with a price, but God will protect you in the mission that he sent you on. We're going to see that come to pass. Revelation chapter 11, verse 7. Now when they finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gauge on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts. Because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. So these two witnesses finished their testimony and God's protection was off of them. Now there are many right things, but cliche things that as you studied, you would see. um, Different perspectives that you would hear. And one of the perspectives is, (laughs) I'm going to... um, You're going to be here. You're going to remain here until God is finished with you. And I believe that to be true, too. But I also believe we can be rebellious and reckless, and God will allow us to live into that. And um, we can die as well. But the idea and the theme here is that God's protection was over these angels until their mission was complete. Now, here's what's different about you and I. Some of us in here are really active in the mission that God has given us. So these witnesses could trust that God was going to protect them in their mission because they were active in it. The church, me included, God's people sometimes think that God's going to protect me, but I'm not doing anything for him. I'm not active in my mission, I'm not making disciples, I'm not praying for the sick. I'm not helping the orphans and the widows. So the difference is, is these people, these witnesses, are active in their mission, and the church might not be. So if we want God's, where's the safest place to be? Active in God's mission in our life. Amen? Because to live is Christ, to die is gain. So if we're active, we can... We can trust that that's where God's protection is. If we're not active in our mission, then uh, we can trust that he'll make it work together for our good. But either way, these witnesses finished their testimony and God's protection was off of them. They were given power to defeat anything while they were on mission for Christ. Yet once their mission was completed, God was ready for them. The protection's off. I'm going to allow the enemy to overtake you and I'm ready for you. So the Antichrist, who is a man possessed by the enemy, will rule the world for some short time as a counterfeit Christ. And now that the witnesses' testimonies are completed, the Antichrist, the beast, will overpower them and kill them. That's what we saw happen here. These witnesses were so hated by the world that even after their death, They weren't given a proper burial. These witnesses are preaching Jesus. These witnesses have the power to perform miracles. Of course, they could do some plagues too, right? But the plagues were there in in the words that were coming from them because they wanted people to come to know Christ. It wasn't as if they were just coming being jerks and overstepping and overlording. Everything that they shared, everything that they presented, everything that they brought was in hopes that the world, our families, our friends, would come to know Christ. And the world hated it that they killed him. And after they killed him, guess what? They didn't even bury them. No proper burial. They just said, leave them in the streets. <laughs> In Jewish culture, it was offensive to leave a corpse out. It was inhumane to leave bodies out as they would often be eaten by beasts. So they were hated so much, these two witnesses, that they were left in the streets to be devoured or eaten or just to begin to decay in front of people. Yet in Revelation chapter 11, these two witnesses' bodies are left out for burial because they are intentionally dishonoring these two witnesses these people of the world hated the God in them the people in the world hated the power that they had the people in the world hated the testimony of Christ that they shared the people of the world hated them so much that they celebrated their death they sent gifts and they rejoiced over them these two witnesses die, and people in the world literally send gifts, and they celebrate the death. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? How evil. It was as if they created a holiday because these two witnesses died. They hated them so much that they let them lie in a public square, which is symbolically Sodom and Egypt. Where Jesus was crucified. So they kill him. They celebrate it. They let him rot in the streets. But yet it was symbolically Sodom and Egypt. So what is, what is, or why is this symbolically Sodom and Egypt? Why does John see it symbolically as that? Well, to understand that, what is Sodom? What is Gomorrah? Right? What is Egypt? What was he? What was God pointing at here? So we have to first ask the question: What was the sin of Sodom? And here's where, um, here's where we have to be careful. Um, sometimes we just pick on the sexual sin of Sodom and we miss the point. Some of us have missed what Ezekiel says about the sin of Sodom, we often just point to the sexual sin of Sodom, which the sexual sin of Sodom was a reason, but it wasn't the only reason. So what was the sin of Sodom? To help us understand what is being pointed to here in the book of Revelation 11, Ezekiel 16, 49 through 50. Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. So everything that we've shared about Sodom before to people of why it has been destroyed might have been wrong. Because right here is the sin of our sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them as you have seen. So do you think that you have told people that Sodom was destroyed in a wrong way or have you always used this scripture? I to read again. Here's why Sodom was destroyed. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them as they have seen. Here's what I want to be clear about. Explicitly clear. Black and white. Light and dark. Homosexuality is a sin. Right? Transgenderism, sin. So what I'm about to say is not saying that it's not. It is. Homosexuality is a sin. When God created the heavens and the earth, when he created man and woman, that was his intention. And now everyone's getting nervous. You shouldn't be getting nervous. I just made it plain. Plain. Do you hear it? Plain. But what I've seen the church do before is the church, when they've talked about Sodom, is they've only said that Sodom was destroyed because of homosexuality. Has anyone ever shared that with someone? You have. When we think of Sodom, the only reason why we think that Sodom was destroyed was because of homosexuality. Now, it was rampantly homosexual. But that, according to Scripture, is not the only reason why Sodom was destroyed. Amen? So then, when we've considered Sodom, we've never considered that we are Sodom. Why? Because we're not gay. Because we're not homosexual. So Sodom has never applied to the church because the church only thinks that it was destroyed because it was gay. Why was Sodom destroyed? She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them. That applies to us today, does it not? Are we Sodom? Is America Sodom? Sodom was a city that represented immorality. But it also represented wickedness, arrogance. They were overfed. And I went to search um, that phrase, that word in the original language, and when I searched that word in the original language. I was hoping there was a deeper meaning. There wasn't. It was just plain. They were overfed. They ate too much. They were unconcerned. They didn't help the poor and the needy. They did detestable things. And they were haughty. That applies not only to our individual lives, Maybe, maybe we're not immoral. Maybe we're not wicked, but maybe we're arrogant. Maybe we're unconcerned. Maybe we're just like, I don't care what's going on in the world. I don't care. Like, we've all, we've all been here. The less I know, the better for me. The less I know, the better I sleep at night. Okay, Sodom. Right? I can make it that plain. You better be hiding your toes this morning. You better stick them underneath your seats. Because the word of God is coming for them. So yeah, you, you, can go pick on the, you can go pick on the immoral and the wicked people because they're easy. They're real easy to pick on and point the finger at as to why the nation's going to hell. But the nation's also going to hell because the church is unconcerned. We're not looking out for the orphans and the widows. We're closing our ears and not listening because it's easier for our conscience to keep on moving on. Maybe you're not doing detestable things, but maybe you're just a little haughty. Now surely you remember the story of Abraham and Lot in Genesis 18 and 19 God was going to destroy the city because of their depravity, because of all these sins, right? And Abraham bartered with God because God came to Abraham and he talked to him. And he said, Abraham, I'm going to destroy this city. And Abraham says, well, Lord, if there was 50 righteous people, would you spare the city? And he said, I would spare the city for 50 righteous people. And he bartered. Well, what if there was 40? I would do it. Well, what if there was 30? I would do it. What if there's 20, 10, five? Lord, 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 what if there was a few righteous people? Would you spare the city of Sodom? And you know what God said? I would spare the city of Sodom for a few righteous people. And as I thought about that the past week, what does God end up doing? God destroys the city. There were no righteous people in the city of Sodom. So you know what that tells me? Lot was not righteous. Because if Lot was righteous, God would have spared the city. I've often thought that there was a right, like Lot was righteous, but if Lot was righteous, God would have spared him. Now we understand by Lot's actions, if you know who Lot is, he was, his actions were not very good. There weren't any righteous people in the city So what ends up happening is angels come that night to get Abraham's nephew, Lot, out of the city. When the angels got there, the whole town wanted to sleep with him or sleep with them. So the angels come at night. They see their splendor. So all of the town's men come banging at the door. Give me those guys. Give me those guys. I want to sleep with them. I want to sleep with them. Bring them out so that we can sleep with them. So Lot, I guess thinking he was smart, said, hey, I'm not going to let you sleep with these holy men, but you can have my virgin daughters. Ain't that crazy? Someone who would rather appeal to the guests rather than protect the family that God gave them? How many of us have ever appealed to friends rather than protecting our family. So Lot offered uh, his virgin daughters. The angels blinded the men. And Lot waited until the next morning to leave the town. Can you imagine that? Angels come and say, God's going to destroy the city. And then you say, let me sleep on it. (laughs) I'm going to sleep on it, God. Arrogance. Nevertheless, the deal was when they left, though. What were they supposed to do? Not look back, but look what? Forward. Now, I see the gospel in this. Many people say we can find Christ in every scripture, and I see the gospel in this. And how do I see the gospel? Look to Christ and not your past. Trying to return to your past brings death, but trusting God by faith into the future, brings life. Amen? So what you and I are called to do is not look to our past, not look to our sin. But we are supposed to, so we're not supposed to look to Sodom, we're by faith just to trust God and to look forward each step of the way. So trusting God brings life. Now I do want to talk about Lot for just a second as we're still discovering what Sodom represents here. Do you realize Lot wasn't spared because he was righteous? He was spared because of who he was connected to. If he was righteous, God would have spared the city. Lot was not righteous, but because who he was related to. He was, um, he was connected to a man of God, Abraham. Therefore, he was one of God's people. Lot rebelled and went to live in a sinful city when he uh, left the covering of Abraham. He offered his daughters to be raped by the city. Lot didn't lead his home and protect his wife from looking back. Lot didn't teach his daughters well because right after this, what ends up happening? They end up getting him drunk and sleeping with him. Lot was not righteous. Lot was spared because of who he was connected to, not because of his own righteousness. That's the gospel. We see the gospel in Genesis 18 and 19, amen? The gospel is we are spared because of who we're connected to. You're not spared because of your righteousness. You're spared because of who you are connected to today, who died for your sins, who lives inside of you. That's why you are righteous, amen? So here in Revelation chapter 11, John is helping us see the cultural dynamic that is going on during this time will be like Sodom. So tell me, what do you see going on right now in the world? And don't point to the easy sins. Of course we see immorality and wickedness and arrogance. But do we look at being overfed and wicked or being overfed and unconcerned? And not helping the least of these. Do we look at those as sins too? So this is the environment that's going to be taking place. It's going to be like Sodom. But John continues to say it will also be like Egypt. Egypt was a place that represented oppression. You think of Exodus, right? Slavery. Suffering. Overlording. Idolatry in a place that was judged by plagues. What John is saying here is Jerusalem, during the end of time, during Revelation chapter 11, Jerusalem will be no greater than Sodom and Gomorrah or Egypt. So these two witnesses are killed in this city that has all this wickedness going on, and the world celebrates. So for three and a half days, some from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. Now I wanted to mention this. How in the world does everyone in the world... Every people, every tribe, every language, and every nation going to gaze on these bodies. Well, John's really proving that this is prophetic because with modern technology, everyone has a TV right in their pocket. Even Bob Rabenstein knows how to work it. (laughs) If we have a meeting, it's Teresa and Bill that get him set up. He might know how to plug in the charger. We love him and we're thankful for him. But every one of us have a TV in our pocket and what's gonna be available is this, is the whole world will be celebrating on their phone the death of these two witnesses. Now, when I was a sophomore in college, um, taking biology, Uh, We had to see a cadaver, and I was working for Vernon Funeral Homes, and you would see a corpse often. And it just freaked me out, right? You didn't like seeing it. How much depravity is going to be in the world that someone celebrates seeing a corpse on the ground? And it says every people, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, everyone in the world is going to be celebrating this. That's scary. They're going to be having a party over this. It will be streaming on your phone, on your TV, on your Roku smart TVs. So the world celebrates and has a party because of the death of these two witnesses. But here's what we have to remember. There is hope in the midst of trouble. Verse 11 but after the three-and-a-half days, the breath of life from God entered them. And they stood on their feet, and terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud with their en- as their enemies looked on. So part of this whole alien agenda is depending on where you believe the gathering unto him happens. Again, I still believe post-trib, the gathering unto him, the rapture happens post-trib. And then how's the world going to explain it? Well, the world's going to explain it from my perspective. Worldly wisdom would be aliens. There was an alien abduction, right? So even here, what's going to happen is as these two witnesses come back to life, and then are taken away, how do you rationalize that? Well, if there's God, then you better bow to him. If there's aliens, you better just freak out. Well, what we understand is they don't bow their knees to God. What do they do? They probably just freak out a little bit. So aliens will come and abduct these two witnesses. Nevertheless, then I heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here, and they went up to heaven in a cloud with their en- as their enemies looked on. At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake, and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to God. You hear that? After the earthquake, gave glory to to God, um, sorry, gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed, the third is coming soon. So the timing of bringing these witnesses back is no coincidence. After they lay dead for three and a half days, God brought them back. This should remind us of the resurrection. In the same way that the enemy thought that he had victory over Jesus and he celebrated, what happened? Jesus rose again. In the same way that the world celebrated the death of these two witnesses, and they thought that they had victory, what did they do? They rose again. God's witnesses were slain, but they will rise again. In this life, we may die, but guess what? We will rise again. In this life, family has died, but guess what? Family will rise again. In this life, friends have died. But guess what? Friends will rise again. There is hope in the midst of trouble. Amen? Isaiah 26, 19. But your dead will live, Lord. Their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. So not only will we rise again, but the work of God that appears to be dead will be revived. There is hope in this nation again. There is hope in this world. Don't lose hope today. I mean this. Don't lose hope in your families. Don't lose hope in your mission. Don't lose hope in your life. Don't lose hope For this world, what appears to be dead, God will bring back to life. Come on, somebody. Now, the reason life comes, though, is because of the breath of God. So the witnesses were raised by the breath of God. And it says the breath of God entered them. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. So these two witnesses came back to life because the spirit of God, through his breath, entered them. God put life back into the dry and decaying bones. His breath and his spirit hastened our dead souls. And it has the power to bring back what was dead in our bodies and in our spirits back to life. His breath has the authority to save the world. It's his breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise. So God's breath brings fear and life. Verse 13, at that very hour, there was a severe earthquake and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake. And the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of God of heaven so great fear fell upon those who survived and they gave glory to God fear can often be a conduit of pointing us to Christ now fear doesn't come from God right but our fear can lead us to Christ and then as we wrap up we now finally see in Revelation chapter 11, the seventh trumpet. Remember, there was a pause. There was the holy pause between the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet. And now we're ending that intermission. The woe is coming. Verse 15. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become... Uh, Become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord, Lord God Almighty, the one who is, who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. So there's a little bit more next week at the beginning of chapter 12. But here we see saints, elders, and angels in heaven, all praising God. We've seen this throughout the book of Revelation. And here, what did they do? They stood, fell to their faces, and they worshiped God. They joyfully acknowledged that he was right to rule the world. And they celebrate that his reign will never end. Can we celebrate that his reign will never end? The reign of God will never end. And you know what's so good about that? He can't lie either, and he says that we get to have eternity with him forever. And essentially, that's how the chapter wraps up. But um, verse 19 says this, Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within the temple was seen the ark of his covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and severe hailstorm. One author says this, In the Old Testament, this was the earthly representation of God's throne to emphasize God's faithfulness. The Ark of the Covenant is the symbol of God's faithfulness in bestowing grace on his people and inflicting vengeance on his people's enemies. The great and the awesome phenomenon At the opening of the temple and the revelation of the ark, show that the presence of the Lord is there. It is uh, reminiscent of God's manifested presence at Mount Sinai. So, to conclude chapter 11, Jesus is alive, he rules and he reigns over the earth. And he has the power to resurrect the deadest of dead things. Because, look, just like um, Jesus was dead for three days, Lazarus was dead, was it four days? So, just as they were dead multiple days, it wasn't like 45 minutes. The decaying process has started. And essentially what the scripture is telling us is Jesus can resurrect the deadest of dead. So let's take that spiritually too, right? Jesus can resurrect the deadest of dead things in your life. Amen? Jesus can resurrect the deadest of dead in your family's life, in your kid's life, in your friend's life, in the world's life, in your governmental leader's life that you don't believe in. Jesus can resurrect all things, no matter how dead they are, so don't lose hope, amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are good. I pray that your breath would blow through this church and through this nation again, that your breath would fill us up freshly and mightily to bring us life in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen.